Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace, here with Rocky from Comic Boom. I thought, since we covered the first two books of Scott Tober, why not talk about the third? So we're here today to talk to you about the third Comixology original from Scott Snyder, this time collaborating with Francesco Francavilla on a project that Scott and Francesco have been actually talking about for quite a few years now. Uh, I think I saw Scott say in an interview, or maybe it was in his newsletter, this is actually the property or the story that's been in production for the longest or been planned for the longest. So uh, I've been working on this for quite a while, and I thought it was it was pretty solid. I Again, totally different feel from Clear, which in turn is a totally different feel from We Have Demons. But I thought it was really, really good. I'm, I'm not a big horror fan, as longtime listeners of the uh, podcast will remember. So this one probably didn't hit my sweet spot quite as well as We Have Demons and Clear did. But I still thought it was very, very good. What did you think, Rocky? I liked it. You know, I'm, I'm not generally into, into horrors for comic books uh, myself, but that's actually changed in... I credit DC Comics. Uh, the Black Label has has, has gotten me uh, with, uh, you know, the Joe Hill line of comics from DC has really gotten me into horror in the last year or so. Particularly, my favorite is uh, was Basket Full of Heads. And, of course, Refrigerator Full of Heads just came out this, this past week in DC. I'm enjoying that. And, of course, I mean, look, Scott Snyder, man, he's he's excellent with horror. I'm not always a big fan of horror in the mainstream DC universe, and he's got Snyder had a horror element to DC, but he's in his wheelhouse here. And man, I mean, with this particular issue, while it may not be my favorite of what he's put out so far uh, of the third of the of the three so far, uh, I'm still really enjoying this. So I have a feeling it's going to be at least a trifecta. And of course, he's putting out another one next week. So I'm looking forward to. Uh, Hey man, we, we might as well go for all four. Let's review all of them. <laughs> well, I think next week actually it's not a it's not a whole series. I think it's a preview of of what else is to come. Oh, okay. Uh, I think is what's coming. I think there's just three first issues in uh, Scott Tober as uh, Comicsology is calling it. But yeah, I mean there are four more titles to come. So I'm I'm anxious anxiously awaiting them. I just don't know how far along they are on those. So. Uh, just to remind everybody, the, the creators here, writers, Scott Snyder, art and colors by Francesco Francavilla, letters by Anne World Design, edited by Will Dennis. And uh, again, it's just, it's a fascinating story. And we talked a little bit, or I, I specifically talked a lot, I guess, in the first two stories about kind of mashing up two different ideas, right? Like the whole thing, and we have demons. In my mind, the thing that it intrigued me the most was the fact that it was sort of religion slash faith uh, mashed up with science, uh, you know, with the, this idea of the lightest element and the heaviest element and evolution and how uh, those elements were tied into sort of good and evil in earth or on earth as life evolved. I found that to be fascinating. In Clear, we're talking about really traditional crime noir with a, sort of a cynical, uh, hard-boiled detective, you know, investigating his ex-wife's murder mashed up with this idea of technology and how it isolates us and in the far future, how you can skin reality to look like whatever you want. So really taking something from the past, this idea of a, a, a noir detective story and mashing it up with something futuristic that we don't even have quite yet, you know, the technology to, to use AR augmented reality to, to make the world look like what you want to look like. Uh, so I went into this one wondering, okay, well, are we going to see multiple things mashed up again is that something scott's doing on, on purpose 
Is it just the fact that these are creator owned books and he gets a chance to sort of, uh, there's no limitations, right? Like the, the, the training wheels are off. He can do whatever he wants. He owns these properties. You don't have to worry about, you know, protecting some IP for uh, this multi-billion dollar corporation. You do whatever you want. Like that's not the case if you're writing Batman or Superman or Wonder Woman or whoever, right? I mean, you're just a caretaker of that character as opposed to these. Sky's the limit. You can do whatever you want. He owns the properties. So um, is that something that we're going to see? And in a way, yes, but not so overt in the story, I feel like. Certainly it's a horror story. We've, we've said that. This idea of telling a story in present time as we're reading this, I'll let Rocky do kind of the recap in a second and you'll, it'll make more sense what I'm saying. Um, but this, this idea of this horror film fan who apparently his job is to like restore old celluloid films, old films from the uh, early uh, 20th century. Um, so there's that story happening in, kind of the, the present time, but then there's also flashbacks to the actual film that he found called Night of the Ghouls that's central to the story. So in that way, you're having two different stories because you're you're actually having the story that's happening in, in present time as it unfolds, but flashbacks to the story that would have been the film Night of the Ghoul. But then also this idea of uh, the relationship between father and son, which is I found to be very fascinating, and I can't wait to talk to Scott about it and ask him how his own relationship with his sons kind of played into the relationship between this father and son because it's it's so interesting. And you know, being a a father myself, I saw some similarities with the way you know my son and I interact and whatnot. So I wouldn't say there's like two different ideas that are really interesting and, and a lot of times diametrically opposed because th that was the thing about the first two stories, right? You had this idea of religion or faith, which oftentimes is uh, completely on the other side of the spectrum from science, you know, like science can't explain God or, or any of that sort of thing. So the, uh, sometimes those ideas can be uh, at odds with each other. And then in clear, you're talking about a story, like I said, of the past with this hard boiled detective that's juxtaposed against this idea of technology and being able to skin the world and see how you want. Again, those are ideas that are separated. They're on either end of the spectrum, the past, the future. So we're getting sort of multiple ideas here, but they're not necessarily ideas that are opposed to each other. They're just sort of, I would almost say separate story threads or separate plot uh, points or, or story beats, however you want to look at it. Um, but it still makes for a very intricate and compelling story. And, and it pulled me right in. Like, like I said, I, I just loved the interaction between father and son, like the, the syntax, the vocabulary, the, just the way they interacted with, with each other. It wasn't, you know, over the top, laugh out loud, funny, but it was just so authentic. And again, it just reminded me of my relationship with my son. So I thought that was fantastic. Then you have the story that takes place in the film, and then you have the story that's taking place uh, where it seems like this, this what is his name, T.F. Merritt, who supposedly was the greatest writer or director who was planning on uh, releasing this film, Night of the Ghoul. And, and what exactly is, is that going to mean? Um, so this, this Mr. Uh, Inman, who's gone there, who's the, the film fan who's gone to, to see Merritt in this hospital, um, 
it's clear by the end of this first issue already that he's bitten off more than he can chew uh, by by pursuing this Night of the Ghoul uh, story. So, uh, and I'll let you recap it further than that if you if you want, Rocky. Well, there's a <laughs> there, there's a what I love about recapping this is I mean there's there's a lot of substance in this opening issue. That's what I really like. And not only is there substance, but the mood in the ambiance by uh, by artist. Uh, Francisca Francavilla, wow! This is—he uh, does a really good job creating the mood and the tone of this uh, of this opening issue. This is about ghoul, uh, the night of the ghoul, and what is a ghoul? Well, Scott Snyder explained it, but it's it's explained here that you know the night of the ghoul is more than just a movie that was uh, that was made by this uh, director uh, T. F. Merritt. Who this this young this father and his young son are visiting in this nursing home, <laughs> and ostensibly to because he's he, his name has been changed and apparently this this young this uh, young uh, father this Forrest that takes his son Orson looking for this this old director and writer T F Merritt because he's a great writer and director of this of this Night of the Ghoul this this horror film that was made in the mid 1940s but was ultimately dis, uh gone missing and destroyed but this uh forest character and his son they, they managed to find this pieces of the old film and he's just got a lot of questions about it because he thinks that it's the greatest horror film of all time and he wants to interview the interview this this director this tf merit and this merit character looks horrific he looks like he's, his face has been burned he looks he just he looks really horrific and and there's something really eerie about this nursing home. And, you know, there's great rapport, as you alluded to earlier, about, you know, between uh, between Forrest and his son, Orson, even when they're approaching the nursing home, I mean, Orson is joking around, yay, we, we finally found a nursing home, you know, we found where the old people live. And, I mean, the the dialogue and and the rapport between father and son here is quite, it's quite good. And and what's interesting is that it isn't just the horror element that's taking place here. What's also taking place is there are secrets between father and son that are alluded to that we're going to be getting we're going to be getting to presumably in future issues. And in particular, there's something that Orson has a, and his mom know that they, they they're keeping from their dad. And Orson himself doesn't even really want to be there. Orson wants to live with his mom, doesn't want to live with his dad. And there are some things that his dad doesn't know, but you can tell he loves his dad. He just doesn't want to live with him. But those are the things that are going on behind the scenes. Meanwhile, I thought it was quite interesting that Forrest is almost like awestruck. He finally found this director, this T.F. Merritt. And despite the horrid looking appearance of this director, <laughs> he, he's, you know, he's a, he, he wants to ask him all the, all these questions. And, and when this, when this, t, uh, when, uh, this TF Merritt, he's actually in the nursing home under a different name. When he finds out why he's, you know, you know, because this Forrest lied, pretended to be an insurance broker, pretended to be an insurance agent just to just to get a meeting with this this guy, uh, this director. And when the director finds out, he's horrified. He finds out you got this film because oh my god, you saw Night of the Night of the Ghoul. How much of it have you seen? And and Francisco Francavilla does a great job of, of showing the eyes of the director as he sees. Uh, oh my god, you you watched it? Oh no! And <laughs> and meanwhile, I thought it was hilarious. 
hilarious that even even the nursing staff is is they're kind of warning Forrest and Orson. You you, you gotta you know by the way you gotta warn this old guy. He's crazy. He talks and and be, beware because when he has moments of clarity, he's even more scary than when he's delusional. <laughs> I mean, there, there's humor here as well. And like you said, the, the the flashbacks showing bits and pieces of the movie because you got to wonder what's so special about this movie. And the movie takes place in World War One, and through with World War One soldiers uh, approaching a place called Culla in in Italy, and and Culla means cradle. And it's it's about these three uh, World War One soldiers named Kurt, Johnny, and, and Bookings, where they go and they check out this town, but the town is completely abandoned. And this town is completely abandoned, and even the German soldiers, uh, uh, because this is a they're they're a U.S. they're a 332nd Army Brigade, and they're they're in there and they're they're expecting to find German troops, but they're not. All the German troops and the people of this town are dead, and and it's very eerie. And and as we're wondering what this what's so special about this movie, the conversation takes place, continues to take place between Forrest and. Uh, and and merit, and Frankavilla does a great job of showing the film strip burning because they have pieces of it. So there are there are you get to parts of the narrative just when you when you and you're getting excited to know what's going to happen next in this movie. The film strip burns, and it sort of reminds me of that uh, of the Batman Superman comic that we reviewed with uh, Jane Yoon Lang of Batman Superman, where he used utilized the different film strips to go from multiverse to universe, and it, it's done to even a great effect here by Frank Avila, and it works really well because you get a sense that you know time is fragmented in the and 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 even even the the director talks about you know. Or when he's talking to Forrest, Forrest is so impressed. He thinks it's a great movie. He loved how it's not just a horror movie and, and it, it it's about relationships and a father-son relationship because one of the characters in the movie, uh, Johnny, young the young soldier Johnny is talking about his son and or Kurt's talk, uh, young, young Sergeant Kurt is talking about his son back home. And that father-son dynamic not only takes place in Night of the Ghouls, but it's taken place between between <laughs> between Forrest and Orson. And of course, Merritt himself is finally. Merritt just basically tells him. I mean, he Merritt just says, "Look, uh, it, I thought it was quite comical." At one point, Merritt just says, "Well, you know what? You're dead anyway. You guys are dead anyway. Unfortunately, you and your son saw this movie." So uh, at one point, <laughs> Merritt just sort of resigns himself that we're going to be dead before the end of the night. You're going to be dead at the end of the night. Your son's going to be dead. This is a trap. You've gotten here. You've been lured into a trap. I've been kept here against my will. I've been prisoner since I made the movie because uh, and the ghoul is going to be released. And oh my God, what's the ghoul? And the ghoul is the embodiment of all the monsters, all the other monsters, Dracula, Frankenstein, all of them are just uh, zombies. All of it originated with the ghoul. Everything's connected to the ghoul in some way. The ghoul... Uh, Real life horrific instances where the ghoul uh, partook in resulted in in real life stories that became myth and became legend, such as Dracula, uh, zombies, Frankenstein, werewolves, etc., etc. And but the ghoul is real. Where the all the other monsters that we think are scary, it's nonsense. That's all fiction. What's real is the ghoul. And. And Merritt just sort of resigns himself, saying, "Ah, well, you know, one of my favorite moments is uh, where 
Merritt is Merritt basically just pours himself some scotch and he asks he asks Forrest just to toast him because you might as well toast it. It's our last night. We're gonna die. And let me tell you my story in the making of Night of the Ghoul. And that's what's gonna be this entire series. And I'm fascinated by it. I love it. The the scenes, I I would be remiss if I didn't talk about Frank Avella's scenes. There are scenes where his son, uh Orson, is talking to their mother and he's and in the background, as he's talking to his mother, there's, you know, there's people in the nursing home. The residents are peeking out and 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 peeking at him. And then he turns around and looks and they completely disappear. So you get a cinematic, scary feeling like, you know, it's just like in a movie where you see an image, you turn around, you look and then they're gone. And Frank Avila does a really good job. I strongly recommend uh, what... Uh, what Frank Avila manages to do here so well, because it's comics college, I, I recommend that people watch this with the guided view. When you, when you go on comics college, watch this with the guided view because they just show you panel by panel instead of seeing the page. Let guided view guide, guide you through this story because it, it has a greater gravitas and a greater feeling when you allow the guided view of the comicsology narrative to sort of tell you this story from panel to panel. So, so the panel is only le- is only shown to you as you as you let as you click on the guided view. It's a much more exciting and horrific and and mood altering uh, <laughs> experience. And I really enjoyed it when when I when I read it when I allowed uh, the guided view to take me on that on that journey. And I, I'm absolutely captivated by this. It ends with it ends with uh, just you know just that scary idea that hey toast me uh, Forrest puts on his phone to record the conversation, which is interesting because I have a feeling that by recording this conversation of what the director is going to tell him, now there's not, there's not only going to be a movie telling the story of the ghoul, but now there's going to be an iPhone recording of of uh recording of the story of the ghoul and i think that's how the ghoul i think it's the story of the ghoul that's slowly as it leaks out it gets more powerful but that's just me speculating i, I love this the, the mooded colors the flashbacks that are in very sort of a a separate uh, uh, uh what's the um uh anyways the dull sort of uh, uh light uh sort of a darkish brown sort of background of uh when when there's a flashback to world war one scenes yeah like a sepia tone sepia thank you sepia tone yeah so it's just very well done and it ends on 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 a cliffhanger to be continued and yeah i this is perfect for halloween perfect for halloween i i'd strongly recommend this and you know and frank avila you couldn't get a better artist to 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 convey that 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 halloween kind of feeling So. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I love the fact that you called out the, the moment when uh, T.F. Merritt realizes that that Inman and his son Orson have, have watched this movie, right? Like, yeah. first he's he's like you said, he he's he, the eyes. He's he's shocked. Wait, you you tracked it down? Clearly, <laughs> you know he mentions uh, Inman mentions. Well, yeah, you know his, his whole job is restoring film. And they he and he's a huge horror fan, and he found this legendary supposed horror film that was supposed to come out many many years ago, and they thought it was all lost, that it all burned up in the studio fire, and even the, the little hints like that, you you know, okay, well, was that studio fire you know set on purpose to destroy this film? Because clearly, there's a lot more to you know the ghoul is supposed to be the the 
the monster that sort of spawned all other monsters, you know, what the ghoul does and the way the ghoul infects the human race um, has given rise to the mummy and Frankenstein and, uh, you know, vampires and all these other monsters. And, uh, you know, clearly that maybe there's a, a force at work or, or, you know, something else that, that knew this was going on. This is why Merritt wasn't able to ever finish his film. And, and, you know, it was hidden and he's been, we find out as the story goes on that he's, he's been a, a prisoner, like you said, Rocky, ever since he, he tried to make this movie because he's aware of the ghoul. But then from that, that intensity in his eyes and that intensity in his facial expression that Frank Avia gives us so well, you turn the page, you know, just a couple pages later after uh, Inman tells him, well, yeah, I, I watched it. I, you know, I watched it all and I, I showed it to my son. Then all of a sudden there, that intensity melts away. It melts away from, from merit. You know, he, he's, he's like, well, yeah, well, you, you killed yourself. Yeah. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> and, and, you know, since you're going to be dead anyway, I guess I might as well tell you what happened. And, you know, I mean, it, 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 it's a great job uh, from, from a visual standpoint of what Frank Avia has given us, um, as well as from a narrative standpoint, from Scott Snyder's viewpoint of giving us a great example of what human nature is, right? Specifically the panel um, where I think if you go back – or maybe, well, let me see which one. Yeah, if you go back a few pages, when uh, when Merritt takes the mask off his face, when he realizes that um, that Inman and, and his son have watched this film, and the guy's clearly a fan, he calls it a masterpiece. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's the maybe the next page after that. Uh, yeah, right after that film sequence. In the upper right corner, you'll see where Merritt takes his mask off and he says, "Oh, you thought I was a masterpiece, right?" Like he's, fun- yeah, that page oh, is there. Yeah. The look on his face there, right? Like at first he was, he he was genuinely concerned for this guy, yeah. you know, like, "Oh, who who have you shown it to?" Almost like uh, what, what what was the classic uh, early two thousands <laughs> horror movie where you wouldn't uh, the ring, right? You didn't want to show anybody the ring because if they right. saw it, they would get killed by the chick. <laughs> from the well yeah and so that 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 that's merit at first like oh who did you show it to they're they're you, you've put them in mortal danger once he realizes this guy's seen it and he's already dead then it's like whoa i'll let him stroke my ego then I, he's <laughs> never he there's a part of him that despite you know all the horrific stuff that's happened to him apparently but there's still a part of him that's that writer director that probably laments the fact he never became famous. He never got the adulation he deserved for creating the greatest horror film ever. And if this guy's going to be dead anyway, here's, here's finally a fan. Here's finally somebody who can, <laughs> he can talk to about it. Right. Yeah. He can hear f- fan reaction to his masterpiece. What he literally gave his life to this idea of, um, you know, of, of the, the night of the ghoul and the fact that he never got, the recognition you deserve. So it's little things like that, that, that enrich these characters and make it the story so much greater than the sum of its parts. So uh, yeah, I love that, that intensity of his reaction at first, like he's worried for this guy that he may have watched the film, 
But then when he realizes he's going to die anyway, he's just like, all right, well, yeah, let's let's have some drinks and talk about it. You want to record it? Go ahead. You're you're never leaving here alive anyway. The ghoul will come and kill us all, he says. Yeah. Right? He says, yeah, toast with me and I'll tell yeah. you my story and then the ghoul's going to come and we're all dead. So Well, it's it's like I not. it's like I said to you uh, uh if I'm repeating myself, I apologize, but it's like I even by us watching the the movie, watching the movie as we're reading it on we're, we're watching the reading the movie on the page we also become doomed. And so that's why yeah. I said, you know, I, I almost I almost decided to pour some whiskey and review this while sipping whiskey and toasting merit because, hey, man, if we're reading them, if we're watching the movie too, all of us who read this comic are going to die too. So, you know, it's like, ooh, you know, so it's it's breaking that fourth wall again. And so it's 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 really good that way. So it's actually it's actually quite entertaining if you let yourself get into it. And again, I recommend that guide reading, you know, watch this, read this digitally through a guided view experience. It's much more enticing. <laughs> yeah, you don't get things, you know, I won't say spoiled, but yeah, it, it unfolds a little at a little slower pace. And and yeah, it ends up being a, a really unique experience. And I mean, there are, don't get me wrong. There are some tropes here, right? I mean, we are talking about um, an idea of, of, you know, a horror story and, and really a secret, right? The, the whole idea of the ghoul, uh, it's a secret. You know, when Inman holds up kind of the the postcard or the the flyer for the movie, it says "Night of the Ghoul," directed by T.F. Merritt. When when it comes, nothing can stop it. Um, and so, you know, there are some sort of classic tropes. You know, a, a father and a son being trapped somewhere, and and you know, being surrounded and uh, impending doom. I guess we'll call it is coming. Whether that's in the sense of a disaster coming or zombies, or in this case, the ghoul. Um, but what keeps it fresh is the little details that we've talked about here, the interaction between Inman and Orson, uh, the the great re reactions uh, and sort of knowledge of, of T.F. Merritt and his, his resignation once he realizes what's about to happen. And then the foreshadowing, uh, the, the secrets like Rocky uh, was saying, not only are there secrets to do with this, um, this convalescent home, uh, this old folks home in terms of of what's really going on there and why have they kept Merritt a prisoner all this time. But, but what are the secrets that, that Orson and the mother know that the father doesn't know and how might that, you know, affect anything? And are we going to, it wouldn't surprise me to find out that, that um, Inman and his son Orson are in some way related to TF Merritt or, or part of some lineage that, uh, you know, has to do with the ghoul, you know, going back a, a number of years. I mean, I mean, who knows there there's, there's so much here to mine, and I do sort of feel like, and and you know, tell me if you think so as well, Rocky, uh, because I these are bigger panels than we got in the last couple's uh, Scott Tober issues, which is fine because I I think you need that for Frank Avila's style of art in order to set the tone and mood, which I I agree with you. He was the perfect choice for this. I, I don't. Yeah particularly think that his style suits superhero stuff. He doesn't do a lot of superhero stuff, but his stuff is much more suited to horror. It's just where his proclivities lie. And I think where his art works best. Yes. Um, but because of the larger panels in this um, and setting the kind of the mood with the, the burnt edges of film and whatnot, uh, I do feel like this was a little bit faster paced. You know, we just, we got fewer panels. So in turn, we got a little bit less story than we got in the, the first two, uh, releases, which I'm not complaining like whatsoever, right? Like I, 
again, if, you, if you're not familiar with how you can get these books, we'll talk about that at the end, but I'm not paying any extra because I have Amazon Prime. So it's not like I'm complaining I didn't get more value. Um, but I do feel like there's a little bit less story here just because of the bigger panels and a little bit faster paced. Um, but again, so compelling, like with all three of these releases from uh, Snyder and his fellow collaborators, every single time I got to the last page, I immediately wanted the next issue. I wanted more. So they're all compelling and they all pulled me in. But I do feel like in terms of the amount of story that this one might be a little bit less. It's not significant. And I'm not saying that it wasn't enough story because I think it's a very good first issue and a very good beginning to the story to hook you. Uh, but it's just something that I that I noticed as opposed to on Clear and We Have Demons. As I was scrolling through digitally, I'm like, oh, I'm not done yet. There's still more. There's still more. With this one, before I knew it, I was on the last page and I was like, oh, I want the next one. Uh, did you find that to be to be the case? It uh, felt like a little bit of a quicker read. Uh, well, uh, I agree with you. I uh, but I never I never uh, noticed it. I never noticed it quite as much as uh, you did, did. Only because I do I do think clear and we are demons required more exposition, simply because it was setting up a new mythology. The, the, yeah, you know, and so it was new, it was more world building with the world of clear and we are demons. And so it required a lot more exposition. And whereas this is more of a straight up horror tale, this is more embracing some of the tropes of, of a classic horror story while adding some interesting elements in his own right and having fun with it, having fun with it. I mean, uh, it's funny how, you know, we, we, when we review comics, we try to find what are the hidden themes and we talk, it's interesting here that we talk about, well, there's a father son dynamic in this story between, you know, between uh, Forrest and Orson and between, uh, Sergeant, uh, you know, the, the, one of the Sergeant, uh, Kenny there of one of the soldiers has a son back home in World War One in the movie itself. It's funny that when, when Forrest talks to the director that Merritt about it, Merritt says, you know, he, he, Forrest even says, Oh, I love the themes in your movie. And, and Forrest and Merritt even says, no, there's only the ghoul. <laughs> like there's no theme. No, there's only the ghoul in the movie. <laughs> it's like, it's like, no, this is, so it's, I mean, literally it's, Merritt himself, the director of the movie is, is basically saying, no, it is only the ghoul. Every, if you see anything else in the movie, you, you've missed it. The, it. the ghoul is one. He's deceived you. I mean, suggesting that, you know, it's the ghoul. It's evil. That's how it sucks you in. I've been a prisoner here in this nursing home for so long. You've been lured here through through somehow, and it's a trap. And it's, uh, like I said, just classic, just straight up classic. And I think one thing that can slow this read down that might make it more enjoyable, I say again, man, that guided view, I... I took my time reading this because I, I let the guided view take me that that slow transition from panel to panel. It's perfect for a horror comic like this. It really is. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, and again, I, I you have to you do have to take your time because there is a lot in the details, and we've talked a lot about that specifically when we're talking about the you know the expression from TF Merritt and, and that sort of stuff. So uh, yeah, I, I highly recommend this as well as the previous titles. Uh, just a reminder of the way you can get the book. So if you're an Amazon Prime member like myself, you just go to Amazon, do a search for, you know, uh, Night of the Ghoul Comixology, and it'll pop up and you can put it in your cart. It's, it costs $0. And then you can read it uh, in a browser on a it's Kindle Cloud Reader, it's called. You just read it right there on your computer screen. Or if you have the uh, subscription to Comixology Unlimited, which gets you 
access not only to all the Comicsology originals, the ones by Scott Snyder, the ones by Jeff Lemire, the ones by Jock, the ones by Mark Bernardin. Like you get all of that. Plus there's like 40,000 other books in that library that you can get. There's Marvel stuff, there's DC, there's Image, there's tons of uh, other titles that you get for that subscription of $8.99 a month, which is cheaper than two of these books if you buy them individually, which you still can do. You still can go to Amazon, type, you know, uh, we have Demons, Comixology, you can buy the first issue, it's $4.99 uh, for each of these first issues, so it's five bucks, but again, for less than the price of two of them, two of them would be 10 bucks, less than the price of two for $8.99, you can get not only access to all of Scott's uh, first issues that have come out this month, but all the other Comixology originals and all the other Comixology library that's out there. So that's really your best value unless you're already an Amazon Prime member, in which case you get all of Scott's Comixology originals plus all the other Comixology originals. But what you don't get access to is the other 40,000 or so uh, books in the library that are basically digital releases of print comics that come out the same day as the print. So, you know, Marvel and DC and all that sort of uh, stuff. So uh, it's a great value. Again, subscription is probably the way to go or Amazon Prime membership. I think these are fantastic. What I love about it is it's, I can tell how much fun Scott is having along with his collaborators. It reminds me of his early days at, at DC and I'm, I'm not, I don't want to like poo-poo on any, any of his more recent work, but it, as he, as his tenure at DC got longer, the thing that I, I sensed, the trend that I sensed in Scott's work was oftentimes I could tell that the ideas behind the stories were huge, right? They were huge in scope, but just because of sort of the, the state of the industry and the, the limitations in terms of how many pages and what can, you know, what's going to be sold and, and production time and all that sort of thing that, I felt like a lot of times his stories got choppy or, or there were things that he had to cut out that were left on the kind of the cutting room floor, so to speak, to borrow a, a film term. You know, we're talking about Night of the Ghoul film. Um, but there are so many things in metal and death metal where I felt like, man, if if there was an unlimited amount of pages and an unlimited budget and unlimited time to produce this, the story would be gigantic, right? There'd be so much more. It would feel like a richer experience. Um and so I, I didn't think that the stories fulfilled the, the potential of the ideas that Scott had. I don't feel that way with these. Maybe it's because he's building these worlds and these stories from the ground up and there's nothing else that he's pulling from. Like we're learning the stuff as it's unfolding right before us. And so it just has such a different feel. Again, I, I think the passion and the joy that he has in creating these stories with his co-creators comes through. Um, and, and they're fantastic. Like I was looking for it. Like as soon as Scott announced it, I was obviously looking forward to this stuff, especially based on the fact of how good Noctera was. Cause I got that same feeling that he was having so much fun doing it. Um, but then as soon as he, he announced these comiXology books, I was like, okay, uh, I definitely have to check those out. And every single one of them has exceeded my expectations. So I definitely recommend uh, checking them out. Again, we've told you how to get them, and uh, and they're fantastic. I can't really recommend them highly enough. So, uh, any final thoughts, Rocky? Uh, just uh, thank you, Scott Snyder and Francisco Francavilla. This is a great. Th I think this is the most pure Halloween flavored story so far, rivaling Clear and We Are Demons in terms of a good Halloween, <laughs> a Halloween read for Halloween. You know, just to me, this is just. Uh, 
and I, I do have a bias. I love Francisco Francavilla. I've loved him. I really got to know his work back. Uh, he did a lot of di- he did a lot of dynamite covers for the Lone Ranger, and he 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 draws westerns great, like western imagery and horses and cowboys and and classic uh, classic gunfighting scenes. He's he's really good at it, and and I just you know I've I've loved his art since then, and it's this is absolutely in his wheelhouse. Snyder's in his wheelhouse, man. He, Snyder can go as dark as he wants. You know, I was less of a fan of it when when he was at DC and things got a little dark, uh, even with death metal. But I mean, let's face it, he, he's good at it. And, you know, man, when something isn't broke and you're good at something, why, there's nothing to fix. I mean, just, I'm in, I'm in this, you know, three for three so far. So I'm, I'm quite impressed with Snyder. Yeah, I agree. Definitely three for three. So, so go and check it out. Be sure you reach out on social media. Let us know what you think. Uh, don't forget if you're listening to us, uh, audio only on the podcast that we did put this up on our, uh, our YouTube channel. You can go and check that out while you're over at YouTube. Be sure you head over to Rocky's channel, comic boom with an exclamation point, subscribe to his channel, ring that notification bell. So you know, when he has new con, con- uh, content coming out, if you are checking us out on YouTube, don't forget that we have the, the audio only, uh, episodes that come out. Hopefully we'll get back to uh, a, a daily or at least more than three or four episodes a week soon. Uh, so be sure you you just subscribe on whatever podcast app uh, is your app of choice. We're on all of them. So we appreciate the support as always, and we'll talk to you next time. See you later. 